This is Alex. And this is James. And you're listening to the American Toffee Podcast. What's up, everybody? Today, we have Tony from the American West Ham Podcast joining us for our Everton versus West Ham pre-match episode. Tony, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm glad to be on your podcast doing something a little different this week. That's uh, fun for me. Yeah, man. We really appreciate having you. Uh, we thought it would be a lot of fun to get the opposition on to give us a better look, a better insight, and have a little bit of banter leading up to the match. I, I did definitely give you a, uh, <laughs> when we were texting before the episode, I definitely gave you a warning that your listeners are going to have to deal with me listening, talking about uh, Everton away at least one time in this episode. So we'll save that for later. Totally deserved bringing that match up. Uh, that was one of the first kind of, I guess, negative turns of the Marco Silva era was that match against West Ham, a game that at home, of course, we fully expected to win. And then to kind of just get absolutely shredded on the counterattack by Yarmolenko, of all people who we had been linked with for years at that point, oh. was just like a very, very Everton uh, occurrence. So, I, I mean, I, I guess we're kind of getting into it now, but... Well, I'll tell you what, that so that's actually and not the Everton away I was talking about, but I actually like talking about that one too. No, I was I was actually at the Everton away, which would be home for you guys, in uh two thousand sixteen when we were two nil down and beat Everton three to two when uh when we scored in the final minute there when uh who I think it was uh who's the right winger that got sent off for you guys that game? Morales. Yeah, it was Morales got sent off, and then Adrian saved a penalty, and then we scored three goals after the 78th minute to take it 3-2. to two. Yeah. So I just wanted to rub that in a little bit. Now we'll get past it, and we'll be a little okay. more friendly. But Fair that was enough. probably one of the well, greatest games of my entire life. I'm sure that so, was an electric away end. Yeah, I, wanted to, I just wanted to share that with everybody. So now that, now that we, uh, all your listeners hate me and probably already turned it off, <laughs> I'll, let, I'll let you guys do your thing, and uh, I'll chime in when y'all kick it to me. <laughs> Dude, all is fair. I mean, that's 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 what we're what we're having a blast recording together for, right? Some a little bit of banter. So, again, we are away, Everton fans. We are away at London Stadium this weekend, off the back of uh, two weeks worth of an international break. That was for Euro qualifying, I believe. Quite a few international friendlies, and unfortunately, Everton came up with a couple injuries. James, we'll start with you. How are you feeling leading into the match in general? After the off the back of the Chelsea match, it feels like a glimmer of hope in what has been a long and kind of dismal run for the club, for the team, for Marco Silva, for everyone involved. And then the international break almost came at an inopportune time because hoping that we could harness that momentum from the Chelsea match and kick on. Of course, that's still very much a possibility. But then we also picked up a couple of key injuries with Luca Dean. I'm not sure if it's been made clear exactly how severe his injury is, but anytime that he's going to be out, Leighton Baines is a backup serviceable, but as our current, I think, favorite as of as player of the season, Dean is a major loss. And then Yeri Mina, I believe that seems to be a more serious injury from what I've heard so far. That's a big loss. Not that he probably, I don't know if he would have kept his place against uh, West Ham after playing very well against Chelsea, but only because Kurzuma couldn't play, of course. So him going down, just it's it's another injury for him. He's so big, and he just hasn't been able to get fit for us, which is frustrating to say the least after we brought him in from the big move from Barcelona. 
hopefully this season can just kind of be written off as a flyer for him, or maybe he gets a few games in down the stretch. But from the, from the looks of it, it doesn't look good for the big guy. James, the only thing I got from that was you saying he's so big. I was kind of grossed <laughs> he's out. He's a big boy. Yeah, okay, whatever you say, man. So, Tony, <laughs> yeah. on the same weekend, you guys had a thriller, a 4-3 victory against Huddersfield, who, mm-hmm. side note, Huddersfield actually numerically could get relegated this weekend if they lose. How are you feeling leading into the match? Well, that, that game on Saturday, my, my buddy is actually sitting in the room while I record this podcast, and uh, he was sitting there with me, and I, I will say I was very confident going into that game, overly confident, as it showed, and we were mm-hmm. 3-1 down, and I was trying to play off that I didn't care, but I definitely cared, because uh, when the fourth goal went in in our comeback win, 4-3, I was running around my tiny little apartment like a... Uh, like a buffoon. So I, I'm very happy with that result coming off of that. But we, we've been – our home form has been great. We have not lost a home game since December 22nd. But our away form has been horrible, which is kind of irrelevant as we're uh, at home. So we, our last few games, we beat Huddersfield at home. We lost to Cardiff away, beat Newcastle at home, lost to City away, and beat Fulham at home. So going into this game, playing against you guys – I don't want to say I'm fairly confident because that'll come back to bite me, but I'm just glad we're not playing at Goodison Park. That's fair. And the interesting thing about this match is West Ham currently sits in ninth place with 42 points, Everton 11th with 40 points. So, you know, this is essentially very important for both teams because if Everton can pull off the win, then, you know, they'll hop over West Ham in the table. Conversely, if West Ham pull off the win, then they start to separate themselves. And actually, uh, they'd move up a couple of places, you know, although Wolves and Watford have, you know, a game in hand. So it's a, it's a really big match, I think bigger than I realized until just now for both squads. And if I'm going to be honest, my personal take is I think it's anybody's match from an Everton, oh, pers- from an Everton perspective. You know, as you said, your home form is great. Your your away form is bad. Honestly, we're just inconsistent. Usually we can say our home form is, is fantastic, but that hasn't even been the case this season. And, you know, as James pointed out, that's, you know, we, we went against Chelsea in a very good, well-executed plan, and we were just looking ridiculously confident, and now we had the international break to pick up some injuries. So nonetheless, let's talk about tactics, guys. So James, from an Everton perspective, how do you think we're going to play going away against London or at London Stadium against West Ham, knowing that there's this much at stake in terms of our table position? I don't expect us to play like we have anything to fear. And I mean, absolutely no disrespect to West Ham when I say that. But I mean, it is a team that is in the same relative position to us league wise, a team that could certainly beat us. We could certainly, like you said, it's anybody's game. So I expect us to play with the same style that we've played with consistently all season. And really, you know, the testament to Marco Silva is even though the quality hasn't been there consistently all year, the style has been fairly consistent in that he clearly has a philosophy. He doesn't want to change up the tactics too, too much game by game. There have been some minor formation tweaks. Some personnel changes, of course, that's natural. But the overall style has remained the same. So we're going to want to control the ball. We're going to want to play out wide. We're going to look to put a lot of crosses in the box. And 
ideally, you know, the the hallmark of the first game at Goodison was that we got absolutely obliterated on the counterattack. And I, I, you know, West Ham being at home, will probably look to, to command the ball a little bit more, I would suspect. But I expect it to be, you know, I expect it to be a really even game possession wise. And then it's just about creating those really good chances. And we've done a really good job of creating a lot of shots, but the calling card for us has been finishing. We just haven't had the finishing there. And although we did get, you know, the 2-0 result against Chelsea looks really good, but at the end of the day, it was the result of a poacher's goal from Richarlison and then a tapped in rebound off of a penalty from Sigurdsson. And so it's not exactly like we were, it was a, it was a commanding game where we dominated Chelsea, which you wouldn't expect. But I, I'm expecting both teams to come out and try to impose themselves on the other and to clash heads and, you know, maybe some early physicality set the tone and I, I like Tony said I mean I'm feeling optimistic but it's the hope that kills you in the end all right so can I, can I jump in here real quick because I think the interesting thing about both teams having optimism is to me this is the last chance for either team to stake try to grab that seventh spot from Wolves or Watford I mean because Wolves and Watford both have that extra game in hand uh, a win for Everton like you said would put them on 43 just one back of Wolves and a win for West Ham would put us one ahead of Wolves. So, I mean, with about, what, seven or six games to play, this, if, if there's a t- time that either of us are going to grab that seventh spot, it has to be now. A hundred percent. So, Tony, knowing that you're at home again, all the high stakes, how do you expect West Ham to set up and to conduct themselves? So, lately, we've been playing a free-flowing and attacking soccer which to me has been great. It's a more entertaining to watch, but it burns you if you do not capitalize. You know, if, if for example, against Huddersfield, we actually had almost, I think, 68 possession uh, and more shots and all that. But it, it, the stats don't matter if you're not putting goals in the net. You know, we were, like I said, we had 68, 70% possession, but uh, Huddersfield was up three to one. So so all that doesn't matter. I mean, if you guys are fighting for possession, you guys could be the ones who dominate, but you'll you'll have to finish. It's all about putting goals in the back of the net, and that's corny to say. I mean, anyone, you know, you score goals, you win a game, but it, it really is that. I used to fight with my buddy. He's laughing at me right now because we would always argue, well, we dominate the game, you know, we, we had possession, but it, it doesn't matter whatsoever if you don't win. The uh, other thing about the tactics that I thought – about West Ham that I wanted to ask about was what your thoughts on Anderson versus Richarlison? Because I remember at the beginning of the season, we've put out a poll who would be the better value. And it was about 50, 50 to me, Richarlison from an outside point of view seems like an extremely class player, but he seems to show up more than Anderson. Like Anderson's obviously one of my favorite players on West Ham and he's playing very well, but some there'll be a week or two periods where he's quiet and doesn't even get on the ball. And then there'll be weeks where he's taken players on an absolute menace that you don't even want to uh, go against. So what what are your thoughts on that battle? I guess I'm biased, but I would agree that Richarlison is a better player because he seems to just have that natural instinct for goal. Right. And, you know, he, he's definitely a natural goal scorer. Now, in terms of consistency, Felipe Anderson is a very good player. And I think that he was a good signing for y'all. He would have been a good signing for us. And actually, you could argue that he he still would be. But for me, inconsistency as an attacking player 
is found in everyone that is not world class, right? Because the only thing that classifies you as world class or or the only way that you're going to avoid <laughs> avoid criticism as an attacking player across the front three is scoring, you know, uh, probably slightly over 0.75 per match or something, right? Like a solid three quarters of your matches. So mm-hmm. at that point, it's, I mean, I think it's really easy to say that there's inconsistency. It's just, it's just such a, it's such a, it's, it's a role in which you have to rely so much on confidence because you're, you know, as you said, you're dribbling at players, you know, you're trying tricks and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, so to answer your question, I suppose for Charleston, but I do think Felipe Anderson is, is a really good player. And if anyone's going to hurt us on the weekend, it's going to be him. Yeah. And I'll, I'll add on to that a little bit. I do think, I think they're slightly different players, both immensely talented. Felipe Anderson strikes me as a player who relies a lot more on technical ability than Richarlison. Mm. Richarlison hasn't really shown a ton of finesse. He has, you know, good good at keeping possession, but he's not one to do a lot of tricks. I know that dribbling skills are one of one of Anderson's strong points. Richarlison just has a really good instinct for the game. And when you take into account that he's only 21 years old, whereas Anderson's 25, I think... Richarlison's you know, only 21? Yeah, he's 21. So he has like, he is just getting started. He is, I believe he is, he's got the most goals in the top five European leagues of any Brazilian under 23 or 24, I think. Holy smokes, I didn't know he was that young. So he is, he is, he is third. He is third top scorer in any of the top three league, excuse me, top five leagues under 23, I believe. The only two above him are Mbappe and. Jovic from uh, Frankfurt. There you go, Frankfurt. Richardson has has a long way to go. He was playing in Brazil two years ago before he came to Watford, so um, his European career is still very young. And I think, honestly, if if we every summer for the rest of his time at Everton, we're going to have suitors come calling for him. It's a question of when a, the price is met that we're asking for. And I think it's real. It's not too far fetched, and I might be getting ahead of myself by saying this that we could get double what we paid for him in a couple years in in the everton twitter sphere or fandom sphere you could say do you do you guys have those annoying people that just i'm sure you do that just moan all the time rather than enjoy the player while he's here um for example anderson this last two weeks have 65 million pound uh, uh rumors from real madrid which you know it must it if they don't get Hazard, but I still, that's not even a close comparison in my opinion. Hazard's on another level, even though I love Anderson. Point, point of the story is though, we already have West Ham fans moaning about, oh, is he going to leave? Is he going to stay? It's like, okay, well, you know, if so, if, if, let's be realistic. If Real Madrid come calling for any West Ham or Everton player, I think you might have to uh, say good, say your goodbyes and say thank you for your service. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it it seems like... If you lose or draw a match, nobody's positive about anything. Mm-hmm. Everton fans specifically are very fickle because, you know, players like Lukaku, who Yeah. To same be way. fair, to be fair, Lukaku was he he was always going to be using Everton as a stepping stone, right? And and it and then and then you get the Pikachu face meme from 90% of the fan base when he gets his move to Man U after scoring 25 goals that season. I mean, it's just kind of, it's just, I think that's just sports fans in general. Well, I think particularly it's 
the fans like us who root for the clubs that aren't the necessarily I you know dream destination I guess is the best way to put it true like, n- no players outside of Liverpool grow up dreaming of playing for Everton I, I don't think that, that that's exactly unreasonable to say and I think sometimes it, it's hard to like contextualize that because for fans of the sport and fans of their club like the club is I think Everton's the best club in the world like I'm not and I'm sure you feel the same way about West Ham of but course if you're a professional player you don't have that same frame of reference and I think sometimes fans have difficulty accepting and like reconciling that and it take they take it like personally when a when a player wants to move on to a Real Madrid or a Manchester United and it's it's just like the nature of fandom and we do have every every fan base especially on Twitter where like the negative voices are amplified so much there's always going to be people that find something to complain about and when you're not exactly winning all the time it can be easier to pick out those things to complain about for sure. Yeah, I mean, if it was up to me, I would be avoiding Twitter at all costs. That's the, but it's the main platform we use for communication for the podcast. I hate Twitter. Uh, I use it for for inf- like just social media that like everybody else does. But it's just it's so whiny sometimes, and especially when you follow a team like you said, like West Ham. You know, we're going to have some whining with the stadium. Uh, we're going to have some <laughs> the the thing with the stadium and all that, and I guess since you guys are going there this weekend, I've been there. I, I actually have season tickets and I, I go maybe about, I try to go maybe four or five times a year. It It's not the bowling ground. I was lucky enough to go there one time as well. It's not, I'm not saying people should move on because I don't want to be disrespectful to some of our supporters that have been following West Ham for their entire lives. But it's also one of those things where if the London Stadium sucks, it sucks, but we're there. So kind of have to get over it and go. Yeah, absolutely. So let's switch topics. Let's get to the lineup prediction slash preference. You know, it's usually generally a, a mix of the two. So are you guys in favor of kind of going from back to front, maybe doing defense of both teams to midfield to attack? Does that sound good? Yeah, that works for me. All right, so James, I think it's safe to say we're both going to assume that Pickford will start in goal. So we have Yerry Mina and Luca Dean presumably out for the match. Who is your back for? I, I have a pretty good idea as to who you're going to say, but humor me. Yeah, I mean, it's straightforward. It's Leighton Baines straight in for Luca Dean. Uh, honestly, think Baines still has a decent amount to offer the club and think he can have a good performance. And then center backs, Michael Keane, who scored his first uh, goal for England over the international break. Congratulations to Michael Keane. And then Kurt Zuma comes right back in after the Chelsea match. Obviously couldn't play there. Um, So those two center backs. And then Seamus Coleman, who has been busy on duty with Ireland, thankfully uh, seems to have made it out unscathed this time. So that's my prediction for the back line. I would agree with you wholeheartedly. Unfortunately, we don't have very many options to even throw possibilities into the mix. So Tony, who are you going with for your back line? So I'm going to go with our signing of the season, which might be a hot take for some, might not be. But uh, Lucas Fabianski has been one of the best signings and values for at least for West Ham this season who came in for only 7 million pounds, and I'd arguably say he's been the best goalkeeper outside of the top six. Uh, He's been incredible and saved us many games this season. So he is our goalkeeper. At left back, we have Aaron Cresswell. Center backs, we have Issa Diop. 
and Balbuena, who's returning from injury. I uh, The way that our defense played last week, I highly uh, suspect Ogbana goes to the bench and Balbuena comes in. And then at right back, we have Manchester City legend uh, Zabaleta. So let me ask you a question. You know, Ogbana was heavily linked to Everton and West Ham back in the day. A lot of Everton fans were really upset that we were not able to really? secure the signing, assuming that was true. How do you feel about that? Because it seems as though he's never really cemented himself. Uh, okay, so my thing on Obama is I think he's a very solid center back. I'm surprised I never realized he was linked with you guys. Um, one, one thing about Obama is he was good the last, I don't know, maybe two seasons ago and his time for us has been solid, but I don't think he's really ever stepped up and been that, that rock solid rock star center back that we really needed. And I think he's lost his space to Balbuena. I think Balbuena came in on 3 million pounds from Paraguay, I believe. And um, him and Diop have been a great pairing together when we won those four games in a row in the uh, middle of the season. That was our center back pairing who was, rock solid. So uh, like you said about Ogbana, Everton fans, I would not be, uh, wouldn't be too upset. He's been a solid servant to the club, but I don't think he's been a superstar that you guys might've been expected because he hasn't been for us. That's fair. So James, how about your midfield again, per usual, I'm going to assume we're going with a, with a four, three, three. Yeah. Sticking with the four, three, three again, nothing too crazy here. We're going to go with Gilfie Sigurdsson at the number 10 role, and then sitting behind him, it's going to be Idrissi Gay and Andre Gomez. I fully expect that uh, Marco Silva will stick with that lineup. Seems to have been working well, and I'm optimistic that they can continue to gel together. I agree with all those points as well. Naturally, I, you know, I enjoy a, a Tom Davies shout, but Andre Gomez, you know, it seems as though Everton are working on securing his permanent signing. It seems as though he would like to stay. And at that point, you really need to see what he's made of in the Premier League because, you know, his performances have been hit or miss. Although, you know, a lot of that I think comes down to fatigue because he hasn't been playing actively really for the last, you know, little over a year prior to signing on loan. So, and he's on loan from Barcelona, right? Yes. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Portuguese. Yes, sir. So I think those are, those are the, uh, the preferred three for me as well. Ideally, I'd like to see Schneiderlin make the bench. Uh, I'm not sure about James McCarthy, but I'm not sure he's really in the conversation anymore. Tony, what about your midfield? So I'm going to only give our midfield center mid pairing uh, because I'll go into the attacking front in a minute after you guys go. But um, right now, Declan Rice, England star Declan Rice, has been uh, an absolute killer in our midfield, only 20 years old. And uh, he's been an absolute stud in the midfield. He played center back for us when uh, Moyes was here. But when uh, Pellegrini came in, he put him back at center mid. And boy, what a godsend that that kid is for us. And it's it's weird saying kid because he's only like five years younger than I am. Um and then, obviously, Mr. West Ham, Mark Noble, my favorite player. Uh, he, he's been with the club since he was a kid as well. So uh, I really enjoy our English center mid pairing. 
Yeah, and Declan Rice has really had a resurgence. He plays like a deeper lying center mm-hmm. mid, right? Like yeah, he like a destroyer center yeah. mid uh, role, deeper kind of protecting the back line, and and games that he's played very well. We've we've gotten we've only conceded maybe zero goals or one goal because he. I think a lot of the problems West Ham has. It feels like we're always under pressure, and when even if you have a solid defense, you're and you're always under pressure, you're going to concede. It's simple. It's just mathematics. So uh, when Declan Rice is having a great uh, job in the midfield, breaking up balls, you know, I feel very strongly that we could get a result. All right. So, James, looks like we're on to our front three. Again, I really don't see any surprises with what you're going to say, but let's see if you might have a hot take or two. Uh, yeah, I think we're going to recall Kevin Morales from Fiorentina. And <laughs> sure. right. uh, no, it's really straightforward. It's Bernard deserves to keep his spot on the left. We put DCL, Dominic Calvert-Lewin up top, done a fantastic job for us over the last few games. I think Everton fans are really starting to come around. There were a lot of grumblings about him earlier on in the season and throughout his Everton career thus far. But I think he's really proven that at the very least, he deserves a shot to stake his claim as our number nine for the future. And we talked about this last episode, but I really think that he can, being another really young player, and a thing that I think even Everton fans forget is that we have one of the youngest squads in the entire Premier League. Dominic Calvert-Lewin up top, and then Richarlison playing arguably out of position on the right, but it seems like no matter where he plays along the front line, he is able to make a significant impact just because of his natural his natural instincts and like in wide areas, he's good regardless. So that's going to be our front three, and I expect those three to, uh, to to pose some serious problems for the West Ham back line. I won't hit you with any hot takes this time, I agree, and, and well-deserved for them as well. So, Tony, hit us with your all-complex interchanging front or, or forward players. Yeah, I could see when I uh, when I wrote that on the, uh, on the timeline here for the podcast that it might be a little discombobulated. The, the issue that we have at West Ham right now is we have two creative midfielders that really should both be in the game. Uh, Samir Nasri, who we signed in a free transfer this uh, this January, who was training with the club in the fall due to his uh, suspension. Uh, he didn't have a club, and he was training with us, new Pellegrini, so he signs with us in January. And Lanzini, who you may know, who is just coming back as well after uh, – doing some damage to his leg and being out for majority of the season. And then we have Felipe Anderson, who we already talked about. So the issue with having those three guys is they, they actually can be pretty interchanging, which is nice. Anderson can be out wide and in the middle. Same with Lanzini and Nasri. They both like to shift out wide, then cut back in. So those three will be interchanging, trying to terrify the Everton defense. And then my guess is going to be Marco Anatovic starts up top. Uh, ever since he had his saga in January, he really hasn't been the same. I really think this man needs a goal for some confidence. But um, if he goes in the summertime, I wouldn't be upset. Just even if we lose a great player, I'm just sick of the drama. So it's either going to be him or Chicharito. And right now, I think Arnautovic would be our best chance. Um for your Everton listeners who do are going to watch the game, I think Chicharito comes in in the second half to relieve Anatovic. I think Chicharito is a fantastic player, but he cannot play up top by himself because, I mean, he's not a target man. He's a little midget. So um, 
Yeah, I would say we go with Marko Anatovic trying to bust through that Everton back line. That sounds very thin right now. Yeah, it, it is very thin. And so a couple of things that I wanted to bring up just really quickly. A, Lanzini and I believe Umar Nias are still the only two Premier League players to serve a ban for simulation mm-hmm. uh, from the ref, which I'm sure we both feel very, um, you know. Hard done. Yes, hard done. Exactly. Hard done by the FA for those decisions. Zaha um, is cheating. Himself. Yeah. Still hasn't received a ban is shocking to me, but that's right here nor there. <laughs> and the other thing I want to ask you about is Samir Nasri. What are, what have been your impressions of him so far? Because I know he's a player whose attitude has been heavily critiqued and um, hasn't exactly made a ton of friends in some circles. Yeah. I mean, uh, to me, he's been a game changer, especially for, for West Ham who, who don't typically have that quality, even though he's on the older side, his, his the creative mindset is something that West Ham was typically lacking. I mean, when we were playing strikers like, uh, Andy Carroll, it's just lump it up to him or talking about Diafrazako, uh, I mean, Diafrasaka would run the channels, but there just wasn't that creativity that he had to work with. You know, it kind of having Nazri reminds me, not to the same extent, but almost when we had Payet, when you had Lanzini and having somebody else to work with and draw defenders away from him. And then now he has a little bit more space to uh, work his magic. And same with Anderson. You know, those three, if they can all pull defenders one-on-one, it'll be a great time for West Ham. Um when, when West Ham doesn't have their creative players, what happens is they, they can team up on certain people and then leave Antonio to shoot from 25 yards out and it hits the roof of the London Stadium. Uh, Antonio can't, can't hit a barn. So I'm glad that we have all these three creative players back into the team and I look forward to seeing what they do this weekend. Awesome. So to wrap things up, guys, we're going to get into the heavy stuff. Might be quite controversial between the three of us. We're going to get into score predictions. Mm. So I think the way we'll do this is I'll allow James to go first. We'll get Tony's response. And then uh, if need if need be, I'll be the tiebreaker. So, well, I don't think that's a fair. T- I don't think that's a fair tiebreaker. <laughs> so but you, you know, if you give me a tiebreaker and close us out, then I think that's the only way fair. Since you're the one who invited me, so I yeah. appreciate again. I appreciate the invite. Yeah, man, it's it's been a lot of fun talking to you. So, James, what is your score prediction? Well, as our listeners will know, but I'm not sure if Tony knows, I'm kind of the uh, the pessimist out of uh, okay, between the okay. two of us. I tend to try to set my expectations low, in that way, you know. I'm I'm still sometimes disappointed, but not always disappointed. But I do think that this is a game that Everton, I feel confident that we can win. Realistically, I'm going to go, I think there's a lot of goals to be had in this game. I think both teams pack a pretty potent punch offensively. And so I'm going to go a three-all draw, a very dramatic three-all draw nonetheless. I like, the, I like that prediction. And the reason, reason being is the way that we played last week, scoring goals late and finally figuring it out, you guys coming off of the win, uh, it's always weird when you play a team that comes off a win. They're either going to come in with a lot of con- – I mean, this could say any game, but they're going to come in off a lot of confidence beating Chelsea or they're going to come in too confident and a little lackadaisical because they just got that result and uh, could be in for a letdown. So I think that I'm going to go – goodness me. 
I'm I'm going to go three one West Ham. If I'm honest with you, I, I think that I know I know your listeners are going to shut it off now. <laughs> I, I I just feel that we're going to score some goals this weekend. I think it's going to be the late game. I think you're going to have the London Stadium loud. Hopefully, uh, I don't I don't su- suspect many empty seats, even though that typically happens. And I think that we can get the result. Hopefully the defense turns up, especially with Balbuena back. And uh, if the, he's a little rusty, then I can definitely see your three-three result. That's fair. Okay. I, I, I mean, I hope neither one of those come true. <laughs> and you know, as as I said, I think I think I'll go with the tiebreaker. Now, I will say I do wholeheartedly believe that both of those scenarios could play out. Um, you know, as you said, West Ham have a very strong record at home this season, paired with the fact that. You've got a couple of players coming back from injury and kind of your, your fluid interchanging attacking style, which, which, you know, if you pair that with possibly a slight edge in possession, it, it's going to be very tough for the boys in blue. Conversely, I always try to be a believer. Someone's got to do it. I'm going to go for a 2-1 win to Everton. I don't think that we will come out unscathed. However, I'm hoping that with a couple of our players coming back after playing pretty well for their international teams and 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 continuing their confidence from the win against Chelsea, we can make it happen. I mean, I think that's a I think that's a fair prediction. Like I just got done saying, I, I think easily could be three three, it could be three one, it could be two one. Maybe you guys have your own uh, special away day, you know. So. Um, when, my next question for you guys is: uh, When are we all meeting up? Oh, soon for sure. We'll have to we'll have to link up. Absolutely, dude. It might be. It you know, you said I heard you guys saying before the pod that Everton might be coming to America. Is it, so? Are those rumors like real, or what's going on there? So we have kind of an inside scoop. Oh, <laughs> did I just did I just blow your? Did I just blow no your no no? Story? He he publicly declared it. Uh, it's just this guy that uh, is with the Carolina Toffees fan group has some. Apparently, semi-proxy ITKs within Everton, um, and it was rumored early on, like last fall probably, that that the DC United thing was kind of in the works. And then last, uh, I believe it was last episode, Forrest said that he thinks that that's looking more like a probability than a than a possibility. And so, okay, yeah. so you guys already talked about it. I think that would be pretty whack if I came on someone else's podcast and blew their scoop. I'd <laughs> yeah, dude, we would cut that for sure. sure. Okay, okay. Well, thanks again, guys. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thanks so much for joining us. Otherwise, look out for our post-match episode on Saturday after the match. Follow West Ham Pod USA. That's our podcast Twitter. My personal one is at Tony Clark Dupe. That's D-O-O-P. That's uh, for the Philadelphia Union fan and me. Go to our website. It's AmericanWestHamPodcast.com. We interviewed Arlo White of NBC Sports today, actually, this morning. And that episode will go out Monday. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at USA Toffee Pod to stay up to date on the latest episode releases and Everton news. And we'll see you guys next time.